I was thinking about the last two weeks, week three and week four, um, the, 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 the word that came to me for this week is, is show up. And so I want to talk about uh, some practical, okay, practical things that we can do to have discipline and effectiveness in our life. Because a lot of times it's, it's, these, it's these grand ideas, right? These, so week one, we talked about this grand idea of discipline, right? What does it mean to, to be, have a disciplined life? What does it mean to, to live with, with not structure so much as, as a guideline to how to be effective in our life, right? And that was the second word that we talked about, effective. That is our word for the year. We, we're not looking to be successful, if success happens in the, in the visual, in the natural, that's great. But, but what my goal is, my heart is as your pastor, is that we build effective followers of Jesus. Amen? It's that, it's that we're not looking for perfect. We're not looking for you to be super Christian. We're, we're, we're looking for you to grow little by little in your faith. As you grow closer to Jesus, you become more effective for the kingdom. And the world is changed because you are effective not just looking successful. Last week, we talked about time management, right? <laughs> I, I, I've talked to a lot of people about last week's message, and they're like, man, that message, it was so good. And I'm like, ah, it was probably like one of the hardest ones to really listen, even as, a, as the person who's speaking. It's, it's a challenging one because we all, listen, very few people are great at time management, naturally. Very few people are naturally good at time management. The rest of us, we're just faking it till we make it, okay? We really are. We're, we're trying our best to keep things in order and the ducks in the pond, okay? Forget ducks in a row. We're just hoping that they stay in the, the same environment, okay? And so it's a challenge when you get told, hey, listen, the best effective life has some type of discipline and some type of structure, and, and we're going to say yes to things that matter, and we're going to say no to the things that keep dragging us back. Man, that, that really challenges you to go, well, what am I not doing the best at? What am I not so healthy at? And then starting to tweak it. So I always want to start this series with what we mean by effective, because it is our word for the year, and I want everybody to run with the same vision, same purpose, same goal in mind. So effective is simply this. Our definition is producing a decided, decisive, or desired effect. Producing a decided, decisive, or desired effect. It is an active word, okay? We cannot go, oh, you know, I want to be effective, but I don't want to do anything towards it. Okay, you, it, it doesn't, um, who was I talking to? Uh, oh, I was talking to uh, Lana McMahon. She goes to uh, Calvary in East Camden, and, and we're talking about just food and stuff like that, and she said her, like, one major vice is Oreos. And so when her church did a Daniel Fast years ago, she's like, I'm not gonna do the Daniel Fast, but uh, I, I decided to get rid of Oreos. She goes, and so, like, week one into not having Oreos, her family was so used to having Oreos that she said, when I grabbed my shopping list the next week, it literally said Oreos, 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 something else, Oreos, something else, Oreos. Like they were like, we are not used to not having Oreos in the house. What are you doing, woman? Um, and, and, and so it's, it's kind of that idea. Like if you want to have a desired effect, you have to be intentional. One of my favorite words is intentional because things, a lot of things don't happen by accident. Let me, let me restate that. Most good things in your life do not happen by accident. They just don't, okay? 
You have to be intentional at some level to get a desired effect, which is effectiveness, okay? I found this, um, this quote by Billy Graham. It says this, the effective Christians of history have been men and women of great personal discipline. The connection between the words disciple and discipline is obvious. To be a true, effective disciple of Christ, we must seek to discipline our lives and endeavor to walk even as he walked. What a great challenge. That the, it's, it's easy to say, I want to be a disciple of Christ, but you've got to recognize that that word disciple is connected to the word discipline. It's to say, what, how did Jesus walk? I want to walk as close to that as I can. Listen, once again, hear me. I want, I want to be very clear that we always maintain this idea that, that it's not about perfection. And it's not about doing right and wrong and, and, and black and white and, oh, well, if you make this mistake. I actually read this thing um, yesterday. It was an Instagram post, and, and they had like uh, five different posts. Uh, that It was kind of like a little mini study that you skim through. And they said, he, uh, the organization that put it out there said this, is that we as Christians, a lot of times, is we'll say things like, I'm, I'm a sinner. And it may be semantics, right? To say, you know, because we, we, we want to let the world know that we're not, you know, different from them. The reality is we are different. First of all, if you choose to be a follower of Christ, you are different. And that's okay. You're not better than. And there's a massive difference between different and better than, okay? I'm different because I chose to follow Jesus. I'm not, I'm not better. I, I, just, I just found Jesus who, who is making me closer to him. So, so it's, it's kind of like my, my same uh, mindset of uh, being an alcoholic or being a drug addict. At some point, you have to stop titling yourself that. And, and, and I'm not shaming Alcoholics Anonymous or anything like that for, for saying that. I get why they do that. But, but at the same time, you are perpetuating a title that God does not want to put on you. And so when you say, I am an addict, if you have not been an addict for 15 years, stop putting that title on you. You may have struggles. You may have temptations. But you are not. You are a child of God. You, you may have been a liar, a, a perpetual liar, a, you know, at, at some point in your life. That doesn't mean that you are a liar. It means that that is something that you will struggle with. I struggled with pride a lot as a teenager, and, and, and I had to learn how to deal with that. But I don't walk around going, well, I'm just a prideful man. No, because I don't want that title. I want the title of child of God. I want to be titled as the person who God is shaping and molding and changing me, and that's what a follower is. And so I'm not, I'm not a sinner I'm somebody who was a sinner saved by grace, choosing to be a disciple of his. And it may sound like semantics. It may sound like, like well, you're just, you know, you're just changing how words sound, but they're important. Okay, when, 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 when I meant to say Morgan, but I said Brooke, both of their faces were like, that's not me. Why? Because words are important, right? But if I perpetually went up to Morgan and said, Brooke, She'd be like, listen, <laughs> I'm changing churches because you can't even get my name right. Like everything else about it, but the pastor sucks. You know, <laughs> he can't even get my name right. Because, because words matter. And, and so if words matter, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, who am I? Because I can't keep calling myself what I was if God is trying to make me something that he is. So my goal is I'm slowly 
making steps of discipline towards the calling, the purpose, and the will of God in my life. We want to be discipled or disciplined in the things that matter the most. Today, I want to talk about a man named Joshua. He's one of my favorite people in the Bible. He really is. Like, I, honestly, like, I love Paul. Paul's probably, like, right up there with Joshua to me. Um, so if I had to, like, differentiate, like, Joshua's like my Old Testament cat, and Paul's like my New Testament, okay? Um, Joshua, I have, like, ever since I read Joshua as a teenager, I was like, man, this guy, there's something special about him. And, and, and the thing about it is uh, he wasn't bred for leadership. He wasn't, he didn't, you know, you don't really know like his lineage necessarily because he, he, he was just, it just says like, oh, he was the right hand or not even the right hand. That was Aaron, but he was like the, the gopher boy for Moses. Like that's what he was. And, uh, and, and that's where he kind of comes on the scene. But through Joshua, you can learn a lot of very practical things about life, especially when it comes to being effective in this moment. So I'm going to read a couple of chunks of scripture, and then I'm going to give you a couple of points about that. That's, that's as simple as I can make today, um, because it's, it's, we're going to read in Joshua, we're going to read in Exodus, and then I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts about the practical things that Joshua did, okay? So Joshua 1, 1 through 9. This is right after Moses dies, okay? Moses dies, and, and Joshua is by, made leader by God. So it says this, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses, wherever you set your foot, for you will, wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness into the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. Now, let's just, I'm going to pause right there. Think about what God just told. Like, I'd, I'd walk with my chest out a little bit more if I was Joshua. I'd be like, dang, God, you just told me that I'm going to be like the man, right? I have a feeling that Joshua probably struggled a little bit with the role in leadership that he was given. I think Joshua struggled a little bit with his purpose in life. Because if you look at what the rest of the part that we're gonna read, it's almost like God had to keep reminding him like he constantly reminds us, hey, you may not got this on your own, but with me, we've got this. And so look at, look at what he says after he, he kind of sets Joshua up. He says, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I, that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is in my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three times he tells him, be strong and courageous. Why? 
Because I believe that Joshua struggled with the very thing that a lot of us struggle with, which is, is, is that inside voice that says, you're not good enough. You can't do, you can't do that. Why, why should anybody follow you? Why should anybody listen to you? Why should anybody care about your life? Why should you even try? You know you're going to fail. Why, why try to change? You know you're going to run back to it. Why, why try to change how you speak? how you think, your attitude? Why, why change your eating habits or, or, or your, your, your drinking habits or, or your workout habits? Why, why even try? Because we know that you're just gonna fail and you're gonna be set up for failure. So why even start? That's the voice of the enemy. And I believe that Joshua had the same thing because here's the interesting part. We kind of like glance over it unless you like deep dive into study and be like a Bible nerd. Um, but it says, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I would have stopped right there as Joshua and said, wait a minute, Moses died without seeing the promised land. So the, the, the voice of the enemy would be like, yo, he's going to kill you. <laughs> Ooh. Right? Because Moses was promised the promised land, and then Moses did some really bonehead things. Now, it wasn't that God didn't have grace. He had a lot of grace with Moses. Because there were points that Moses' conversation with God, God was like, I'm going to kill them all. Moses, Moses was like, please don't. And then there was a time where Moses went to him and was like, God, just kill them all. And, uh, and so there was a lot of grace in Moses' life, but there was a final point where Moses kind of took over and, stopped and started leading without God. But one of the biggest challenges in our life is not to run ahead of God and try to think that we've got this without him. And so Moses went ahead of him and, and did something because God had done it in the past, so he assumed, well, this is how God would want to do it in, in the future, and he did it even though God told him not to. And so God tells Moses, you're not going to see the promised land because you have chosen to be extremely disobedient and, and, un, and unfaithful. And, it, and it, listen, I want you to get this, that it's not that, that, that God didn't want Moses there. It's that Moses had decided and made decisions that kept him from there. So many times God has a plan for you that, that the only person that's keeping us from it is ourselves because we are in our own way. We're not listening and being obedient. We're not being faithful to what God, God says, do this. And you're like, oh, God, how about we just do this? Like, I'm not saying I'm going to do bad. I just, how about we just don't do all of that? And God says, no, 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 I really want to challenge you. So let's look at the second set of scriptures. So that's Joshua 1, 1 through 9. We're going to come back to a couple of points there. The second one, we're going to kind of reverse, and we're going to back up into Exodus, okay? We'll go to Exodus 33, 7 through 11. Now, this is Moses, and he's the leader, and he's, his, his, the way that it would work is that uh, he would set up camp, uh, and then they would set a tent, the tent of meeting, okay, that was like their church, out, outside of the, uh, the camp. And so they would go, and Moses would go into there, and that's where um, God would speak to Moses, and then also he would go up to the mountain, and it would be covered in a cloud, and God would speak with Moses there. But I want you to, to catch something in this, this set of scriptures, Exodus 33, 7 through 11, it says, it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrance of their own tent. This is worship, right? So, so he goes out, they see Moses walking out, they stand in front of their tent, and they wait, right? And it says that... Uh, all the people would go out and stand at the entrance of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. 
As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and it would hover at, at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and they would bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. How, what an amazing, beautiful picture of God's heart for us. It was never meant to be standoffish. It was never to be this guy up in the cloud shooting lightning bolts at us. But God's heart has always been what he did with Moses, which was Moses would go into the tent of the meeting and he would talk with him face to face as a friend talks. Can I paint the picture that that's where, you know, we, it's funny, we read King James and we get all these, you know, all the, you know, thus thou, though thee, bless the Lord, you know. Um, when I talk to somebody, when I call a friend up, I got a buddy named Tommy up uh, in California, right? We talk maybe two or three times a, a month. He was like my right-hand guy in ministry. And so we still talk, and, and matter of fact, we were on the phone this week. I don't call him up and say, thus is Scott, brother, how art thou? I don't, Right? It's like, what up, bro? How's your week? Oh, your three crazy kids are in the background. <laughs> you gotta be loving life. He's got three under five or something like that. Three under six or I don't know, something. Oh, maybe three under seven. Uh, TJ's in school somewhere around there. Anyways, y'all don't know him, so it doesn't matter. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't call him up and be like, thus blesses the Lord. No, it's like, what's up, bro? How's your day? How's business? And how are the kids? How, how's your wife? Tell her we love her. Can't wait for you guys to, to travel down here and see, see this crazy world we call Arkansas. And they plan on it eventually. They, I told them they gotta stop having kids. Um, every time they wanna travel, they have another kid. I'm like, listen, if you ever wanna get down here, you gotta stop having kids, okay? But it says that Moses would go in and he would speak face-to-face -face as one speaks to a friend. I believe that Moses went in there reverent. I believe Moses went in there respectful with a holy mindset. But I think he went in there and he said, hey, God, how are you? I don't think it was, oh, great, wonderful Oz. Like, no. I think it was, hey, God, it's me, Moses. Let's talk. What, what do you want to tell your people now? What, what do you want to share? How do you want to encourage us? How do you want to challenge us now? Let's talk. But here's, here's the end of the, the scripture, and I want you to catch this, right? Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but... The young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Sounds like a normal sentence, but man, it's so powerful when you catch it. I'm not going to read it. I would encourage you, go back, read Exodus chapter 19 and 20. You'll understand Exodus 33 a little bit more. Exodus 19 and 20 lays out God's heart and how he wanted to deal with the Israelites. See, Exodus 19 and 20, this is where you, we get the, the Ten Commandments originally. And what happens is, is God, got, Moses is up on the mountain and he says, listen, I want to talk to my people. So before, what would happen is Moses would walk up the mountain and there would be thunder and lightning. And I don't know about you, but that would be pretty scary as well. Like Moses just went to die. Um, and, and he would climb up the mountain and he would talk with God, but all that anybody would hear is thunder and lightning and, and Moses is up in the middle of all that. And God, God's up there with him and he's talking face to face like a friend. And what happens is God tells him, I want you to go back and I want you to prepare the people. I want to talk with them. I want them to get in my presence. I want them to experience what you're experiencing right here, right now. 
And so God says, but listen, I'm holy, right? So there's, there's an ample amount of fear that we should have when it comes to God. There's an ample amount of respect that we should have when it comes to God. And so he says, listen, I want you to, to have them consecrate themselves for three days. I want them to, to be clean. I want them to be holy. I want them to be set and ready for, to, to, to enter into my presence. Moses goes back down there. And he tells the people this, and so they consecrate themselves, they, they do all the, the requirements that they are needed to be in God's presence. And here's the interesting part. It gets to that day, and they see the presence of God coming down in a cloud with thunder and lightning like normal, and they're like, nope. Uh-uh. We're not going. We don't want to go there because if we go there, we might die. They're, they had such a fear, an unhealthy fear of who God was, that they refused to have the kind of relationship with God that God originated, originally wanted to have with his people. And so what they do, they sent Moses in. They said, Moses, go like you normally do. And when he went and, and he spoke with Moses again, and he comes back out and, and Moses tells them, them what God spoke to them. And this is what Israelites' response was, was you go and talk to God and tell us what he says. Because we fear that if we talk with him ourselves, we will die. That's what they say. Can I tell you that it perpetually, perpetually set up a bad scenario for how church is now? Pastor, you go and talk with God. Pastor, you go get close with God. You matter of fact, you get we're going to get close, but you always stay like 10, 20 steps closer because if anything bad happens, at least it'll happen to you first. You tell us what the word of God says. Can I tell you that that has been part of the problem with society is that we have crooked leaders because, listen, bad people get in leadership as well. And so they get into leadership and they start to tell you what the Bible says, but it's not really what the Bible says. It's what they want it to say. And then they look good and they sound good and they sound right and they sound righteous. And so the church says yes and amen, but really they're not checking their own Bible and not realizing, well, that wasn't really in there. Cleanliness isn't next to godliness. Listen, as a parent, I want my kids clean too, but I don't want to lie to them to get there. I'm just going to tell them, you get in there, you're going to get your butt whooped. <laughs> get cleaner, you're going to be known as the stinky kid. Right? I mean, like, listen, be logical. Don't scare them like God's going to mark them for death if they're not clean. You'll never get into heaven. You're unclean, Linus. <laughs> listen, listen. I'm not about, we, we shouldn't, I want you to check me. If you don't agree with something that I say biblically, check me. Hey, is that really in the Bible? Hey, did God really say that? What, what, is, what is your interpretation? What is your study? If I don't know, I'm going to say, I don't know. Let me look it up. I love conversation about God. And I'm, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not afraid to say, oh, you know what? Maybe I looked at that wrong because I'm not perfect. And so, so my goal is that every time I get on stage to speak God's word is to give you as much truth as I possibly can from my conversations with God. But listen, if this is the most you're getting from God, you are failing your spirit, failing it. Your spirit is starving. Could you imagine if the only food you ever ate was Sunday morning? Donut don't go far. <laughs> listen, could you imagine that? Oh my God, it's Sunday morning again. I get to eat. I starve myself from Sunday to Sunday. If I'm lucky and I'm, a, and, and, and I'm really connected in freedom, I'm going to get to eat a little bit at Life Group and I'm going to get to eat a little bit once a month on, on First Wednesday. Oh, 
your body would be like, you're an idiot. There's more meals in the day. And, and, and God says, listen, this is not the only interaction you have with God's word. And that's what Moses was trying to set up with, with, through God. God was like, I want to talk to my people. I always want to have interaction with them. At the very end of that, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Joshua was willing to do what no one else was willing to do, to become the person no one else was willing to become. We call them leaders, we call them extravagant, we call them whatever, but the reality is, is that was God's normal. Right? We, 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 you know, oh man, they're a real good Christian. No, they're probably not. They're probably just the bare minimum, and we just see them as excellent because nobody else is willing to go there. Right? The Israelites said, Moses, it would be, you know, John, you go and speak for God. I, ugh, I'm afraid I'm going to die. He goes and he gets this amazing moment with God and now we're expecting him to give that amazing moment and, and, and in conversation. Anybody ever experienced something really, really great and then when you try to tell somebody about it, you're like, oh, you just had to be there? Like, that's Moses. Like, yo, like you don't understand the moment I just had with God. And they're like, that's great. Just give us the cliff notes. Like, no, I, I, can't, I can't do that because there was more. Listen, you want to know why we stopped doing live stream on Facebook? It's not because I don't like technology. I love technology. I'm, I was sick and tired of people sitting at home expecting to get the same thing in, in their bed that God had meant to have in the house. Oh, pastor, now you just sound old school. Because, listen, you don't get the same thing there as you do here. Worship hits a little different. The message hits a little different. And I'm not saying that it's bad. Like, listen, we do uh, our, our podcast, our, our Spotify and all that uh, of our messages. So that way, when you're gone, you can go back and keep up with us or whatever. But listen, it is never meant to be the replacement for every week. That's what the Israelites did. Go and talk to God. But Joshua said, no, nah, there's something more to this. There's something more to just letting Moses go in and get the glory of God and the fullness of God. I want some of that too. And when Moses would leave, it said that Joshua didn't just hang outside. It says Joshua would remain behind in the tent of meeting. He would go in. I can't wait to get to heaven and say, Joshua, what was your time like with God there? Because it doesn't talk about it in the Bible. It just says that he went in and he had these moments in the tent of meeting. I want to know what it was like. I want to know what, what kept drawing you back there in those moments. So I've got three practical biblical steps to be effective this morning from those two sets of scriptures. And the first one is this. I've already given it to you. It's the theme of this message. It's show up. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of preaching to the choir because you're here, right? Show up. Show, Joshua wasn't anyone special. He was just willing to show up. He was the assistant to Moses. Now, that means that he probably had some really great responsibilities, probably had some perks, because typically being the assistant of a leader like Moses, you get some perks, okay? He got to dine out on the Israelite credit card, okay? Every now and then, got to, got to keep the points and go to the hotels and do all those, you know, fancy shindigs. But it also comes at a price of your life to say, am I going to, am I going to do the things that, I, the, the, that nobody else is willing to do that I'm going to be willing to do to be there? He was, he was just the assistant. He was the guy that nobody notices when, when, when people walk by that are important, that are carrying all the, you know, the stuff, <laughs> keeping the, the, the important person in line. Because he was willing to do that. It wasn't Aaron who took over when, when Moses died. It wasn't Moses' kids, which... 
by lineage should have been, right? When we think of, of leadership and kingdoms and all of that, it should have been Moses' kids. Joshua, son of Nun, my servant Moses is dead. It's time for you to step up into your rightful place. Why? Because when nobody else was willing to meet with God, he was willing to meet with God. Show up. Matthew 4, 19, in the New Testament, so you can follow me all the way to the New Testament, Jesus says this. Jesus called out to them. Who's them? It's the, the fishermen, right? The people that he's about to call. He says, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Nowhere in that sentence does it say, come and be a student of the law right now. Nowhere in there did it say, come and be the most perfect version of, of a Jew right now. Matter of fact, he went to fishermen. They stunk. They were typically culturally on the outside. They were right next to shepherds when it came to that kind of stuff. They were, they were fighters. They were, they were all, you know, they were, they were, they were not exactly the high society people. Jesus looks at the fishermen and says, you'll make good disciples. And he doesn't say, come and get clean. He doesn't say, be perfect. He doesn't say, know the law inside and out. What he says is, come and follow me. Why? Because when you follow somebody, when you get in the room with them, if you're really wanting life change, you're gonna get in the room with them and they're gonna change you. You're not even gonna like, you're not even gonna be like, oh man, here we go again. You're gonna want it. You're gonna want that. You're gonna be like, man, I, I feel different when I'm around them. I, I feel challenged when I'm around them. I feel equipped when I'm around them. And just showing up can make the world of difference. Showing up takes discipline. Takes, takes knowing purpose. I'm here for a reason. You show up every Sunday, I believe, because one thing that I believe that this church does is that we believe in being active in our faith. And so there's a purpose. There's not, man, I'm just not coming and listening to this guy. Like I leave here and I feel like there's something actively involved in my life. Takes commitment. Showing up takes the act of saying, even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to be a part of this. It doesn't mean you have it all together, but you want to follow the one that does. That's what I love about Jesus. He never says you have to be perfect, but he's asked you to follow him who is perfect. And what does he say? Paul says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? So what does that mean? Is that the more I get closer to Jesus, the things that I struggle with are naturally going to fade away because I'm following him. Just showing up will change your life. Joshua showed up and consistently served where he was needed. It made sure that he stayed close to God. And when he was needed to step up, he was there and ready. Jo Joshua was part of the spies, the 12 spies that went into the promised land. Remember the 10 spies that came back and were like, yo, these people are huge. We can't do it. Joshua was one of two with Caleb that said, we got this. Joshua was uh, the the one next to the temple that would go in. Joshua was the one that the very first act of leadership for him was go to Jericho, take it over, right? And so he, he, he gets with God and, and, and he once after Joshua 1, 1 through 9, verse 10 says, and then he went to the people and he told them to rise up and prepare because we're going to battle pretty much. And they cross the Jordan and they go to, over to the Jordan. They make camp and then they look at Jericho and Jericho's the first battle that they will experience. And they didn't go in the way the world would go in. Guns blazing, let's go take it over. They sent some spies and they went to a prostitute's house. God's all backwards, can I tell you that? 
And Rahab, the prostitute, hides the spies so, so, that, uh, so that they are protected. They look at Rahab and they say, You're, you and your family will be protected because of your commitment to showing us protection and care as God's people. And, and then it wasn't go in and, and beat down the doors and, and we're God's army and da-da-da-da. No, it's you're going to silently march around a, a, a massive community seven times. On the seventh time, you're going to scream and shout and the trumpets will blow and the walls will fall. It's completely contrary to what our culture says about how we battle and win things in our life. God says, if you will put me first and you will worship and you will just show up. Like, listen, you're in the army. You're like, I've been training for this. Just walk around quietly. What? Just show up. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to, listen, hey, hey, here's a sword. You're never going to have to use it. Just walk quietly. Okay. I can do that. Showing up is so vital. It, it, listen, showing up is so vital that typically churches that are growing are because people just eventually start going, there's people there. Ever just gone somewhere because there's people there? You're like, oh, it must be the thing to do because people are there, so we're going to show up. And what happens is, is naturally, somebody shows up and they go, oh, this is different. Oh, I like this. I'll, I'll show up next week. I'll show up next week. Before they know it, their life has changed and they, don't even, they didn't even realize they started to change. Just getting in the room with the right people. Just getting in the room with, with people like-minded, people that are willing to encourage you, to, to challenge you. It changes you. So like Joshua, we need to just show up. Where can you show up and start to prepare to follow Jesus in? Where do you need to be challenged at? The second thought from Joshua that's practical is this. Protect with that which is important. Protect that which is important. And we find that in, in Joshua, uh, in that verses one through nine, um, it says this, be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. If you take that word successful and you could put, you know, I put effective, you will be effective in everything you do. But here's the deal. You, you, you've got to follow the word. You, you got to follow what is written. You got to protect what is important. We cannot make God into anything other than what he is because if we do, then he's not God. He's just a made up illusion. He's God. So if you don't like something he's written, take it up with him. Don't take it up with me. I didn't write the book, I'm just a messenger. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. Culture has changed. That's great. Culture can change, but God never does. He's faithful from the beginning to the end. His word is truth from the beginning to the end. And so if it was good 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago, it is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He set things in motion, and we don't have to necessarily understand it all, but we do need to be willing to learn from it and agree that God is holy and righteous, and so he knows what he's doing. There are things in your life that you will look at the Bible and you go, I don't understand that. That's okay. Study it a little bit. Dive into it. Understand why it's written that way. So many times, pastor, you don't understand. Culture's changing. This, this, and this. And I'm like, listen, I don't base my belief off of culture anyways. You're going to look odd and different and, and backwards at times because you follow Jesus. So in other words, what matters most is becoming the man or woman of God that he has called and purposed you to be. That's the most important thing. Each and every one of you, you have a purpose. You have a calling. God has a will and a plan for your life. That's what the word says. I don't know what it is. If you, if you want to know, take it up with him. 
Maybe it's, listen, it could be seasonal. Sometimes it's to be the best husband or wife that you have, that you are, and then, you know, there may come a time in a season where maybe you become a widow, and now that season is gone. Maybe it's to be the best mother or father, and once they get out of the house, you're like, well, I'm still their mom and dad, but I'm no longer having to do all the things that I had to do back when I was having to watch them 24-7. Your season changed, your purpose changed, but if you stay close to God and you say, God, what's my, what's my purpose this season? Well, it's to be the best co-worker. There's people there that need you, that need your prayers, that need your, your encouragement, that need to see what it looks like to follow Jesus. We all have different purposes in our life. So we've got to protect the purpose and the, and the call that God has on us. Protect your yes. Don't let everything be a yes. Protect your, the will of God and the word of God in your life. Don't allow busyness to overcome time with God. You want to talk about the biggest plan the enemy has for your life is to get you busy so that you don't have time for God. I've had more times than I can count as a leader, 20-something years of being a pastor, 20-ish, where I've had somebody come to me and say, you know, pastor, I just, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time off from, from serving the church. And I can, like, listen, nine times out of ten, I can tell you exactly how this is going to go. They're going to walk away from church, and they're going to walk away from God. For a couple of reasons. First of all, they didn't put God first. They put the church first. That's a big, fat negative. You should never do that. Okay? The second thing is, is that they allowed the lie that busyness meant that I need to cut serving out or being connected to godly people. And what happens when you do that is the enemy's got you right where he wants you, and he can speak lies, and he can speak depression, and he can speak worry and anxiety and fear into your life. And you've got nobody there to challenge it and nobody there to encourage you. Last thing you need to do is cut out God stuff. And I'm not saying like be overwhelmed with life groups and don't like serve on every group, but man, don't go to zero. I'm telling you countless times where I've watched great men and women of God say, I just need a break and I never see them again. And we check in on them. Oh, hey, how's things going? Yeah, I just got busy. I just got busy. You think that was on purpose? I do. I think the enemy knew exactly how to get them away from their faith. So you got to do it God's way, not my way, not culture's way, not the world's way, and, and listen, not the churchy way, but God's way. I am committing to protect the things that get me closer to God and allow me to walk in my purpose and bring me joy from God. I'm going to protect those things. Listen, if, 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 if on your day of rest, you go and play a round of golf, and that's what de-stresses you, you better protect that. For me, and I don't get to do it all that often, but getting on a motorcycle, especially when it's nice outside, I get on the motorcycle, there's no care in the world. I can't answer my phone. <laughs> it's the greatest thing in the world. But here's the cool part is I'll throw worship music on. Yeah, this is an encouragement. Anybody needs to buy a motorcycle, it's probably the greatest thing that you can do to get you closer to God, okay? Um, so, so wives, just you're hearing from God first, okay? Motorcycles are good, okay? And the church said Amen. See, I hear, there we go, okay? And I'm gonna have a lot of angry emails from, from the, <laughs> the female persuasion. Listen, but seriously, I get on my motorcycle and I, and, I, and I throw some worship music on or I throw some Christian music on um, uh, on my speakers and I just, I just go and it's, man, it's just, it's so relaxing and it just allows me to decompress from the world. That's just my thing, okay? Uh, that's, that's for me. I'm not saying that's for you. It should be, but I'm not, I'm not saying it is, okay? It's a great way. Maybe it's just getting in the car and going. I used to do that, but then gas got high. Okay, now I just, you can go out and pretend like you're driving um, and just sit in your car. 
whatever it is. You, listen, it's not about just doing things. Sometimes you got to protect the things that de-stress you, that disconnect you from the world and all the struggles. Protect that which is important. Protect what gets you close to God. Protect what allows you to find your purpose. Protect what brings you joy from God. We got to protect which is important. The last thing is this. We got to meditate on his word. You really want to know how to be effective? You got to be plugged into that which is the effectiveness. A microwave does no good if it's not plugged in. I've been standing here trying to reheat my food and it's not going. It's not connected to the power source. So many times we want to, to look like something. We want to we wanna get close to God, but we refuse to connect to the power source because we're busy, because we're tired, because we're whatever, because the enemy will get us to believe all the sorts of things. Listen, the very last thing I do in, in my day is I, is I do my devotion, okay? I'll do some sometimes in the morning. I'm a night person, so I think better at night. In the morning, I just read it. If, like, if you want to know my transparency, like I know the Bible, you know, Jesus got up early in the morning and met with his father. Good for him, okay? Um, <laughs> that's not me. I'll start my day with Jesus, like, but it's, it's not like in-depth. Like I'm not getting deep with Jesus in the morning, okay? That's not happening. But at nighttime, that's when my brain is functioning better. And so I'll get my devotion out and I'll study and I'll and and and, and I'm just sitting there in bed and I'm just and I'm just doing some some studying. And it's listen, I'm not like two hours and like a lot of times it's 15 minutes, but you can get so much out of 15 minutes with God. You can't, if you're if you're really open and you're really plugged in and you're really connected, you can get a lot out of two minutes with God. And, I, and listen, I, I love that every, you know, everybody's got a different, uh, Craig Rochelle and Andy Stanley, one of my favorite conversations about prayer, I always go back to this because these are two like pillars of the faith in, in, in the church world, um, especially as a leader that, that I listen to. And, and Andy Stanley, whose dad was Charles Stanley, who's a pastor and a major leader as well, wrote many, many books. He's, Andy's like, man, I could pray for hours and just get into God's word and just sit and, and just focus in on him. And Craig Rochelle's like, I pray for two minutes. God's bored, I'm bored, we're done. Which one's right? They both are. Listen, if we don't realize that, that how Junior gets connected to God and how I get connected to God and how Stefan and anybody else like in this room gets close to God, there is no cookie cutter way. He, Stefan, man, man I, I, I get five Bibles out and three notepads and I've got my laptop and iPad and, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm reading in Greek and Hebrew. I got the scrolls. Like, listen, yeah, he looks like, a, he, you know, if you talk to him, he's, he, he seems like he's one that could get down on the scrolls. You know, I'm just cool. You may be like, look, I get a devotion out and I read the scripture and I go, God, speak to me. They're both right. There is no, there, the, the only wrong is not doing anything to move you forward. And so this, this idea, okay, meditate on his word. Where do we get that? Once again from Joshua. Study this book of instructions continually. Not just once, right? Well, I, I, you know, I, I read the book of Matthew once in my life. Oh, okay, good for you. Did you memorize it? Like, <laughs> you read the first part? This guy beget that person, beget that person, beget that person. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about, okay? And if you read maybe the newer versions, it's like this person had this person who had this person. That's great. It's all the same. And listen, for most of my Christian life, I was like, that is the most boring part of the Bible until I studied it. 
Man, can I tell you that when I studied the first part of Matthew, uh, when it talked about the lineage of Jesus, and I started to realize, and you start recognizing names, and you're like, no way. And then you get really nerded out, and I think it's in Luke, it has it again. Um, I think it's Luke, don't quote me on that, but another one of the gospels has the lineage, and they're different, and you're like, whoa. The Bible's a lie. And listen, you, you think I'm, I've had people uh, have this conversation. Well, if the Bible's truth, then how come there's two lineages of Jesus? Because he has two parents. Geniuses. Well, but Joseph isn't his dad. Listen here. It's the two different lineages. Because Joseph was his earthly dad. And even Joseph's lineage points back to some really amazing people. See, even the most boring things in the Bible, they jump out alive when you study little things like that. I'm not saying you have to, like, you can. Listen, meditate on his word. This is what I want you to meditate on it day and night. So, So study this book of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then, only then. Those are powerful words right there. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. If you're not being successful in your walk, it's probably because you're not doing the only then. Meditating on God's word. Studying his word. God's word is so important in our lives. It is literal life to our spirit, mind, and body. Jeremiah says this, and it's not in the scripture that, uh, I'm not making you read it, but Jeremiah says this in, in, in his book, is he says he found God's word and he ate them because they were sweet like honey. What a great de- uh, de- description. The psalmist in, in the book of Psalms asked God to hide his word in him so that he might not sin against him. God's word is the protection of sin in our lives. When I fail, it's typically because I'm not in God's word. Be honest. When I make mistakes, it's probably because I haven't been connected to God as much as I need to be. There's, so, so I want you to understand these, these three different, there's devotion, there's study, there's meditation. Let me quickly help you understand that. Devotion is just that. It's read a devotion, call it a day, right? Might get a little something out of it, encourages you, gets you to think about something. Study is you go a little bit deeper, right? You go, okay, I wanna, I wanna learn about this. I wanna know how it breaks it down. Meditation is not study. Meditation may be taking one scripture and just sitting on it for a minute, right? And we think of meditation and we think of the weird, you know, I can't cross my legs, people, okay? Um, but <laughs> we're not that flexible anymore. I'm pushing 40. Um, you know, we think, oh, no. Like, I guess that's a version of meditation. Do you know that prayer is meditation? It's literally sitting in, in, in God's stillness and just not moving and not allowing the world around you to infiltrate your mind and your thought. So a lot of people go, get that Western California crap out of here. No, it's not. It's actually Eastern. Um, uh, so it's, it has nothing to do with America in the first place. It's Eastern. Meditation is a, is, is, is a, a Jewish, India, India, all of that area. That's where it came from, which, by the way, Jesus was. And it was simply to say, I'm going to tune out all the distractions and I'm going to focus in on the thing that's important. It may be scripture, it may be prayer, it may be worship. You, listen, what, there are times where, and I did it last night, after I, after I got ready for, uh, I 
y'all don't care about my Saturday night process. Um, anyways, I got to the point where I was ready for bed, and I just sat in our chair in our, in our room, and I had worship music playing as I'm studying. And there'd be times where I'd just pause, and i just, I just let the song just do what it does, which is just invade in the environment. I'd listen to the words and do nothing else other than just listen. God, speak to me. Slow down. Everybody say, slow down. That's what we need. Sometimes we need to just slow down. Let God do what he does. Meditate on his word. Take a scripture and just sit there and just think about it. And just let it speak over you. Sharice, you can come up. I wrote this down, and it's kind of like my simple process for this. It says, the process of effective is, effectiveness is this. Show up, study it, live it, let it affect your surroundings. Like I told you, Christianity to me is so simple. Show up. Show up to church. Show up to, to the places that you know that are going to encourage you. Show up. Study it. Get in your word. Don't let me tell you what the Bible says. Let me just be the icing on the cake. Hopefully you like icing. Study it. I love when people come to me and say, you know, pastor, I've been reading the scripture and this is what I think it means. What, what does it mean to you? I, listen, I, I love and live for those conversations. I can go hours having those conversations. It's what me and Tommy do on the phone a lot of times. <laughs> we just geek out and talk about Jesus. Study it. Live it. Don't let it just sit in your brain. Let it, let it get out. When you go to Walmart, when you go get food, when you go to work, that one person you can't stand, let it out. Instead of socking them, pray for them. Love on them. You never know what they're walking through. Maybe they, maybe they need you in their life. Maybe they pushed everybody else out. Live it. I'll take you back to my conversation with Lana. We literally stopped at Walmart and had like a 25-minute conversation. My poor son was like, she started talking about this encounter she had. She said she was at Walmart one day and she was doing her thing and she said there was these three people that walked up and they, she goes, they definitely didn't look like Camden. I'm like, well, I know that. I know what that looks like. Um, and so she asked, you're not from around here, are you? I really don't think people really did that anymore. She was like, you don't, you don't look like you from around here. They said, no, we're not. I think... Two of them went to SAU Tech, and another one was a friend of theirs. And she goes, she goes, they look different, and da 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 da. And she goes, uh, she just started talking to them, and they said, "Yeah, we're pagans." She goes, I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> okay, tell me about that. So they start to explain their belief and 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 how the church had hurt them. Huh? How many people have heard that story before? How many have lived that story before? 
how the church had, had, had done something. Some, and here's the thing. Typically, it's not the church in general. It's typically like a person in the church did something, and they were probably in leadership, and, and they messed them up. And, and, and so, so the struggle is real. And whether it was the pastor or, or, or anybody else, it just it hurt them. And so it, and this, is why I say, this, is, this is why I say it's important to understand that, that we don't serve the church first. We serve God first. Church is just where we go to be the body together, and we, we love each other, and we do serve, and, and there is structure. But, but listen, I don't, I don't serve an organization, I serve Jesus. So she starts, so they start to just, you know, she goes, I don't even understand what, they're sharing way more than I ever would to a stranger in Walmart. And they're just, Wah. she goes, okay. She goes, she goes, now, and I think what, what really struck them was the fact that she had already told them that she was a Christian and she didn't judge them right away. It wasn't that, <gasps> get the holy oil out. and It's like, okay, tell me about your life. And then she paused and she said, listen, I listened to you and I found it very interesting. Now, would you give me a few minutes to share my heart to you? And she just proceeded to tell them about forgiveness and grace and love and kindness. Started to proceed to, to tell them that, you know, she, she's sorry that the church or somebody in the church hurt them. That's not a representation of Jesus. And that she cared for them and, and, and that she loved them and they ever wanted to come and find her, they could, and this is where they could find her at, at, at her church or at her workplace or this or that. And if you ever need me, I'm here. What she didn't do was say, now, right here, right now, you need to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with that if God leads you there. So many times we expect people to make a decision that they're not ready for because they haven't processed it. And so what? You get them to repeat something after you. If they don't mean it in their heart, they're just gonna walk away from it. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just leave them on a cliffhanger. Like, if you want to find me, here's where you can find me. Because God will do what only he can do, which is start to put people in their lives or that nagging emotional thought process. They wake up one Sunday way too earlier than they're used to, and they're like, you know what? I'm already ready. Maybe I'll go meet that person. The reason why I share that story is because Lana couldn't do that if she didn't show up first. And she couldn't do that if she didn't study it first. So before we get to live it out, we've got to prepare for it. The masterclass challenge is not to be super Christians. It's literally to be ready when God opens a door for you. That you're like, I can do this. I don't have to have it all together to invite somebody to Jesus. I don't have to have it all together to invite them to come with me to church. I don't have to have it all together to say, hey, listen, I walk once a week with some friends on the trace Want to come walking with us? When they get there, they, they meet some other people and they're like, wow, these people are cool. They're great. They're awesome. Hey, we all go to the same church. You want to come with us? You know what? Yes, I will. Why? Because I've now made it comfortable because I'm not walking into a building where I don't know anybody. I've met the building out on the trace. Show up, study it, live it. I want to end with this one quote from a guy I have no clue who he is. I'll just be honest. I just really like the quote. His name's William Kamoyi. I'm guessing he's Asian. It says this, the work of soul winning should not be left for pastors and other leaders in the church. Everyone must be involved. Training and retraining should be given prominence in order to develop members into effective workers. 
to turn them from distressed, discontent men into mighty men. I love that. I love that idea because here's what it says. Here's the, here's the Scott version of that. I want a church where people didn't know they had a purpose. Point them to Jesus so that they can know they have a purpose. I want people to think that they weren't, they're, they're not leaders. Oh, I can never lead in a church to where they become leaders in the church. How do we do that? We don't walk up to them day one and go, hey, Deanna, Rodney, you're going to be leaders. They'll run. Listen, they'll run. But you know what you do? You say, man, you guys are pretty awesome. Want to lead a life group? Want to go to a life group? Because that's where it starts, right? You want to join a life group? Yeah, well, wasn't that bad. Hey, you know what? Maybe I can lead a life group. Maybe I can greet at the door. Maybe, just maybe I have a place and a purpose and they start to find that here. And the next thing you know, you're like, hey, welcome to leadership. You didn't even know you got here. See, the reality is, is that if you look at your broken self in the mirror and you go, I cannot be there, you're right. You'll always tell yourself where you can't be. But if you just allow God to speak to you little bit by little bit by little bit and change you, he takes discontent men and women and turns them to the mighty men and women of God. Little by little. Little by little. We're following the process of being effective. Will you pray with me? Typically, we would have this moment where I ask, you know, oh, this impact you. But listen, I really feel like the challenge has been thrown out today just to give you some tools of, of practical effectiveness. So God, my prayer is this, is that we do these three things. We show up. We show up. God, and it's not just about showing up at your church. God, I pray that we show up in life. We don't just go through the day and check out. We show up. And we'll do what, what no one else is willing to do become, to become the person that nobody else is willing to become. God, we're going to protect that which is important. We're going to protect your word and your will for our life. We're going to protect the relationships that are powerful and, and meaningful. We're going to protect God time in our life. And God, we're going to meditate on your word. We're going to give you space to speak to our lives. God, we're not going to allow pastors and leaders to have those moments we are going to chase after them ourselves. God, I pray that for each and every person that has sat here this morning that God, it will become active when they leave. God, one step closer, 1% better today than I was yesterday. 1% closer to God than I was yesterday. And when I trip and fall, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna dust myself off and I'm gonna point my, 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 my focus back on Jesus and I'm gonna walk back to him. God, that's my prayer for us. That's my heart for us. That God, that we would bless you and that would be effectively changing our culture and our community for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. God, I also pray for our tithe and offering. Not necessarily for the money, but for the hearts of those that give. We thank you for them. God, your word says that those that give to the church, give to the kingdom, are blessed. So I thank you for those that have, that have partnered with the purpose and the goal and the vision of the church to be all that we can be, to live this life out for our community. 
effectively changing lives all across the world. I thank you for them. We bless you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 